it made sense for us to take a look at what happens when incentives are taken away, which really gears into my interest of exercise, which is the intrinsic or extrinsic motivation aspect of things. It's time for another edition of Exercise Snacks Bite Size Science, presented by All-in-One Super Blend, the complete nutrition drink with a full supply of daily vitamins and minerals and two full servings of vegetables. It's superfood for superhumans. Visit allinonesuperblend.com. Want to let you know, as well as a listener of ATFW, we have a giveaway going on for you to win your very own Super Blend starter kit, and you can head to atfw.ca to enter. On today's Snack Size episode, we're going to be welcoming Sean Spilsbury, a researcher hailing from Western University in Ontario, Canada. Now, Sean serves as the lead author of a study that offers fresh insights into the relationship between financial incentives and exercise habits. Recently, his work was featured and garnered a ton of media attention as it was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, and it caught this attention for its innovative approach to promoting physical activity. On the episode, we're going to explore the findings of Sean's research, we'll uncover the surprising impact of monetary rewards on exercise routines, and explore how these habits can persist even after the incentives have disappeared. Before we get to it, be sure to hit like and subscribe. We have new episodes of the ATFW podcast every Wednesday featuring industry thought leaders and influencers, plus a new episode of Exercise Snacks Bite Size Science every other Monday. I'm your host, Chrissy Van, and this is ATFW. So happy to have yet another guest here for our Exercise Snacks Bite Size Science. Sean, first of all, explain to people about your particular area of research and why you kind of chose that as your niche within your specialty. Particular area of research I classified as is exercise psychology, even though the degree that I got was a Master of Arts in the psychological basis. I say the psychology of exercise because for me, exercise is medicine, but I'm also very interested in the psychological aspect of of it as well, because um, I hold two majors in kinesiology and psychology. So when I decided to do my master's, I was looking around at supervisors who I would gel with in terms of our research interests. And I came across uh, Mark Mitchell at Western and saw that he had done a bunch of studies, groundbreaking studies on the use of financial incentives to promote uh, people to exercise and maintain their exercise habits. And to me, that was counterintuitive to what I thought was important for exercise. If you're familiar with psychology, there's a theory called self-determination theory. And it posits that in order to engage in sustained behavior, it needs to be intrinsically motivated. So financial incentives by their very virtue are extrinsic uh, motivators, so to speak. So to put it bluntly, I was very interested in the fact that he was finding things that were pretty counter to what I would expect or what I would want to expect. 
<laughs> yeah, fair enough. And then naturally, as a researcher, you want to explore and know more. And I know that you made some headlines toward the end of last year with a study that did come out of the University of Western in regards to these financial incentives. It was done throughout Canada in certain provinces. So talk to me a little bit about what this study was and what was the hypothesis going into it? To put it in layman's terms, for uh, clinical trials or randomized control trials, they're born in the laboratory uh, and they're executed in the laboratory. But in this situation, it was a, a real world uh, experiment, which is why they're termed quasi experiments or natural experiments. Um, the only thing that differs is the randomization element. So you don't have that particular area of control over um, basically the allocation of who receives uh, a treatment or a condition. But in this instance, we were studying a app that you may be familiar with, but it was called Carrot Rewards. It was released in three provinces, um, not all at the same time. Uh, British Columbia and Newfoundland and Labrador jumped on board and Ontario followed suit. But at some point in time, they wasn't able to receive funding from the provincial government of Ontario. So at that point in time, financial incentives in Ontario were removed. And it's quasi-experimental because the researchers did not have any control over who received or who didn't receive the treatment. So in this case, they didn't have any control over the fact that Ontario app users uh, lost incentives. So it was a decision that was made entirely out of the context of the research study. It was completely unplanned. So at that point in time, it made sense for, for us to take a look at what happens when incentives are taken away, which really gears into my interest of exercise, which is the intrinsic or extrinsic motivation aspect of things. And our hypothesis was that there would be a clinically significant decrease in exercise uh, measured by step count after those incentives were removed. To get a little bit more granular there for those that aren't familiar with the app, how exactly did it work for people that were part of this experiment? So you received financial incentives in the form of loyalty reward points, which you could apply to a particular reward program of your choosing. There were several. The points came in the form of steps. So there were individual step count goals that you would receive these loyalty reward points for, but there were also team-based goals uh, that you would receive these points for. So that was introduced at a later point in time, but it was still a fundamental feature of the app. If you accrued your uh, individual daily step goal for a certain amount of days in a row, you would receive the, the loyalty reward points. And if you were a part of the collective reward points, you would have to be teamed up with somebody else who was using the app. And then together you would uh, collectively meet your step goal. And then if that step goal was reached between the two of you, then you would receive reward points as well. So you go into this and I imagine probably for yourself of the thought process, incentives go away. The motivation to continue to get those steps in, get the workouts in is going to go with them. What actually ended up taking place? Well, what actually ended up taking place was there wasn't a clinically meaningful decrease in step count. So in other words, the step count that took place after the incentives were removed was insignificant. 
um, for lack of a better word. But the increase that occurred after getting these incentives in the first place was clinically meaningful um, because they were able to reach step, step count thresholds, so around 1,000 steps per day or more, which are actually associated with clinical uh, health benefits in the long term. So when they were removed, the, the couple of hundred steps or so that it, the users decreased on average really at the end of the day was, was insignificant in terms of uh, the amount of steps that they were walking after receiving the rewards in the first place. So what does that tell us then when it comes to incentives? Because I'm sure you're aware, I mean, you started this off saying believing that exercise is medicine and it's something that we talk about so much here because the science is there to back this up when it comes to our physical health, our mental health, our social health. However, no matter how much we have this knowledge, we also know that we have a very sedentary population. We have a very concerning amount of physical inactivity, not just in Canada. It's a problem through the U.S., through the U.K. and many other developed nations. Meanwhile, we have access to all the things that we could possibly need to get moving. So what does this really dial down to as we look into perhaps how public policy may even be shaped going forward. The interesting uh, takeaway from this study is that these financial incentives, they don't have to be part of an indefinite program, or at least they can be part of a program, but they don't have to be given indefinitely. If they're what's going to be used to get people up and moving, so to get the ball rolling, so to speak, you don't need to have them there indefinitely uh, in order for people to actually continue to exercise. So if you can get people started and you can take them away, then these types of incentive programs, they're more financially sustainable for all the, all the stakeholders who are involved, whether it be the government, whether it be the private sector, uh, whether it be a public-private public partnership. And um, that, in a nutshell, is a huge, huge, I guess, milestone or at least milestone finding uh, because the common criticism of these programs is that how do you sustain them, especially if you're looking at it from a public lens. Uh, but it can be done. And uh, from a cost-effective standpoint, I'm not the person to talk to about this. My my supervisor, Mark, is. He actually did a cost-effectiveness study on this. But the savings that would be accrued from the fewer health or the fewer detrimental health outcomes uh, when people exercise more would certainly or at least would most likely outweigh the cost that it would take uh, to get these people moving in the first place. Yeah, and I, I know even in the private sector, there's been a lot of research done in that realm because it's exactly that. When you put it up against what we know lack of activity causes, all mm -hmm. these preventable chronic diseases, the subsequent costs and pressure on our healthcare system, which truthfully, from a Canadian perspective, I don't think we had to worry as much about the pressure on our system in the past. That yeah. wasn't so top of mind. Whereas now, no, unfortunately, yeah. we are seeing like increasing wait times and all these other issues that wouldn't disappear if we got more move, people moving, but certainly would be mitigated in this tremendous way. I know exactly. that you mentioned the psychology is obviously something that's so fascinating to you. So the fact that your initial hypothesis didn't quite come to fruition, what do you feel the psychological factors may have been that incentive removed and people still had this now intrinsic motivation to keep moving? Yeah, well, um, I mean, an undergrad um, in my psychology uh, degree. Um, we never touched on a 
a theory called habit formation. And habit formation is, it's a, it's a well-known theory um, in other uh, aspects of academic literature, but it hasn't really been applied in this context before. But it basically stipulates that um, once you're uh, once you're able to uh, instill some type of behavior that becomes uh, routine or routinized, then it becomes easier uh, to execute that behavior later on. So. In my, uh, at least I guess in my thought process about the results of this study is that a lot of these users or at least, um, I mean, enough users to uh, show that this was a insignificant decrease, they experienced a, um, a momentum boost. Um, they, started to, they started to exercise more frequently. And after a while, they didn't start exercising for the incentives anymore. They started to exercise for um, other uh, benefits that go along with it. So uh, personal satisfaction, uh, whether it be with their actual affect, as in how they're feeling in that, per- in that particular moment in time, but how they feel about, feel about themselves. Um, there's many other um, incentives so to speak, uh, about engaging in regular exercise, let alone a single exercise session, um, that can really boost or at least switch your motivation from being extrinsic to intrinsic. So it becomes something you value um, about yourself uh, more so than about the reward. No, it's it's actually interesting. I've just been rereading to start the year Atomic Habits, which yeah. I think is an excellent read for anyone yeah. that's looking to integrate something like this into their lives. And it is so very true. And with exercise in particular, I think we all know it if it's something that we partake in in our lives. Yeah. Once you actually give, give it a chance, it does become your non-negotiable because you know how you felt before it was part of your lifestyle exactly. and you know how good you have felt after. And I, I think it is just propelling this messages of how do we get people to go from that no fit to low fit and incentivized programs look really promising. And this is really important research to have because exactly as you say, it would be great if we could just have things like this funded, but to now have a bit of proof that, hey, we could do this. And it's not even necessarily something that you'd have to keep pumping money into for it to be successful. We're going to see that shift happen. Well, I appreciate you connecting with me uh, once again and making this happen. Thank you. You as well. You've just listened to the All Things Fitness and Wellness podcast hosted by Chrissy Van. This episode was brought to you by Fitness World, your fitness, your way. Be sure to hit like and subscribe. We have new podcast episodes weekly featuring industry insiders and influencers. Together, we're on a mission for everyone to live a life fit and well.